0: Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media, brought to you by Social Mediology. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode where I am speaking with Darren Lohman, who is the founder of Green Batch, which is Western Australia's first plastics recycling plant. So welcome, Darren.
1: G'day. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Thank you very much for being here. So tell me, Darren, what is it that lights you up and gets you out of bed in the morning? What matters?
1: I like doing good in the world. We're on this planet for a very short period of time. And I would like to think by the time I leave my time on this planet, I've made a positive impact in some way and left some sort of legacy behind
0: Well, you're certainly doing that. So I'm really looking forward to digging a bit deeper and finding out more about what you do. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your journey before Green Batch? What were you doing? How did you get to where you are?
1: As a kid growing up, I was a bit of a tinkerer and liked pulling my toys apart and finding out what was inside and how they worked and moved and all that sort of stuff. So I guess it was only kind of natural for me to go into engineering. I was good at maths and physics. So I studied engineering at the University of Western Australia. And during the degree, you had to work on projects and sort of assignments and lectures and that sort of stuff. And I wanted to do something that was going to be useful and helpful if I've going to spend six months of my life working on it. And I happened to meet a guy in hospital, a hospital car park who was in a wheelchair because of a motorbike accident. Who loved motorbikes. He'd ridden since he was three or four years old. He was a national motocross champion. And a motorbike shop and after his accident was no longer able to ride a regular bike um, and he said if he had one wish in this world be to ride again so I took that on as my student project and built a hand controlled motorbike and wow. that student project went a little bit viral and all these people with disabilities started asking me to build their motorbikes or build this or that so I started modifying all sorts of gear for people with disabilities and created an organisation called Dreamfit Foundation And we've now worked on thousands of projects helping people with disabilities, and mainly in WA, but some of our gear is over in the eastern states as well. Ran that for 15 years, and then that got acquired by a big disability engineering mob, uh, or disability services group. And uh, after about 18 months, kind of handing it over to the management there, I stepped out and started looking for a new project, a new cause, some sort of new legacy. Had no idea what it was going to be, other than I want to do good in the world. So I started looking for a new problem to solve.
0: So why did you start Green Batch? What's the vision behind it?
1: It started because I saw a TV advert, which was my light bulb kind of trigger thing. Um, I'd never really been an environmentalist or really anything before. I was busy looking after people with disabilities for 15 years. If someone raised environmental stuff, someone else can deal with the environment. I'm busy looking after people with disabilities. i got my focus on that. But coming out of the dream fit world. I was looking for that new project. And I remember it was December of 2016, so almost exactly three years ago now, I heard a TV advert and they were selling the reusable shopping bags. And during that advert, the narrator said that by 2050, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. And it's actually the quote that I've got on my shirt right now. And when I heard that, my first reaction was, what a load of rubbish, those environmentalist greenies, left-wingers kind of making up these stats to scare us into buying reasonable shopping bags. Like, it can't be that bad, surely? Kind of ignored it and continued on my couch scrolling on Facebook and kind of moved on with life and next thing you know, five minutes later, I'm still thinking about 2050 and realising I've got a three-year-old daughter who's going to be my age in 2050, Like 2050 is not that far away and... If this is true, that's a pretty terrible legacy that we're leaving for our children and grandchildren. And I got curious. So I started researching plastic and plastics in the oceans. And you type in a quote like 2015, more plastics in the ocean fish, and you start seeing thousands of images of turtles with straws up their nose and plastic bags over the head of birds and all sorts of horrific kind of stuff. And then I started seeing images of rivers in China full of plastic and you go delve deeper into it and I was like oh, this is pretty terrible like we've got to stop this this is a problem. So initially I started thinking well how do we deal with this Southeast Asia kind of river plastic kind of ocean and I started looking into our own recycling system because well, we all have commingled recycling bins, curbside bins at home and majority of people you speak to say they use them. I was like well, what can we learn about our recycling system to somehow teach those people over in Southeast Asia. So I started investigating what was happening with our plastic after it goes in a recycling bin. And it turns out we don't have very many reprocessing facilities here in Australia, none in WA. So our plastic gets put on a ship and sent to Southeast Asia. We wash our hands of it, go, our recycling is done. Oh, you bad people in China, dump not plastic in the ocean. And I was like, hmm, there's something that doesn't quite seem morally right, ethically right. It was just wrong. This We can be doing better than this. So committed to putting my hand up, see what I could do to tackle this problem right here in Australia.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit? I think there's one of the things in Australia in particular, there's such a varying level of understanding about recycling. Can you just Tell us, give us the cliff note version of where do we sit in Australia in terms of our recycling and plastic?
1: Well, that bin, which we call a recycling bin, should really be called a recyclables bin. The things that are recyclable should go into those bins. It doesn't necessarily mean everything that goes in that bin gets recycled. Because once you put it into your bin at home, a truck will come along once a fortnight, come pick it up and take it to a place called a material recovery facility these companies also often call themselves recyclers and they will do the job of sorting out the commingled stuff into paper, cardboard, aluminium, glass and then all the different types of plastics. And that's kind of where their job finishes. They will then just move those materials to someone else. They don't really do any further processing. They'll turn it into a new item. They just sort it. Here in Western Australia, we haven't really had no one's really set up the reprocessing, which is the next side step after sorting. So we've had to put on ships and export it because we haven't had, those companies haven't had anyone to set it up. Those in and government hasn't done it, industry hasn't done it, the food producers haven't, no one's really come along to invest the time, the money, and the effort to do the next step. Um, so these recycling companies are kind of stuck in the middle of, well, we consumers and businesses are generating waste every single day and we want it to be picked up and taken away. They do their sorting, but we don't have the next step locally. So we just put it on shipping and overseas. And China was taking that material, a whole heap of it. Some estimates are in the range of 50 to 75% of the world's recycled plastic was ending up in China. But obviously it's causing them a bit of a problem. And now they've banned the import of waste plastic into China. So... And Australia is not the only country that does this. Like This is 50 to 75% of the world was doing this. So now they've banned it. We're in a spot of bother and our recycling industries, they need some to send material. So we started sending it to Malaysia and Indonesia and all sorts of other places to kind of get rid of this material that we're collecting on on a daily basis.
0: And what are they doing with the material that's been going there? Well, if you look at
1: stats around plastic, it's estimated that about 9% of our plastic actually gets reprocessed. That means 91% is not reprocessed. So for every 100 pieces of plastic, nine will get recovered, sorted in a facility, and end up going through that reprocessing back into a new product. 91 will not. And there's only three places plastic that is not genuinely recycled and reprocessed will end up. It's either land, water, or air. So land is either legal dumping or landfilling or illegal dumping called littering. we we'll end up in our water through the rivers and oceans. And interesting, we don't put much plastic directly into the oceans. Most of it ends up in rivers around the world. But then those rivers flow out into the oceans. And in the air is through waste incinerations. There's big, huge incinerators around the world that just burn waste. And they sometimes call it waste of energy and put a nice little green leaf on it and call it environmental activity. But we're kind of burning a fossil fuel, making it disappear, but it's never recoverable after that stage, whereas reprocessing, you turn a PET bottle back into a PET bottle indefinitely, you do it over and over again. Um, So it's kind of a bit of a shame to burn it and capture a tiny percentage of the energy that went into making it and then have to dig up more fossil fuels, put all that energy back into it, to use it once, then burn it to get a tiny percentage of the energy back. It's not a very efficient cycle, it's very linear.
0: And how many reprocessing plants are there in Australia? Do you know what that number is?
1: <laughs> it's a very hard one to, it's a very non-transparent industry. I spent here in West, I suppose most of my time here in Western Australia, I spent the first six months trying to find our reprocessing facilities like surely there's got to be something going on and you google it and there's all these recycling companies and people say oh yeah it's getting recycled the industry tells you it's being recycled so i I kind of put my detective kind of hat on and tried to find them and i probably spent about six months and could not find a single legitimate reprocessing plant here in western australia wow every lead that I went to, like I got in my car and went to every facility that address was kind of listed as a recycler and the closest I found was that sorting and exporting kind of model. It's a little bit better on the East Coast, but not much. To give you an idea, some of the Australian plastics recycling surveys. We consume on PET, which is the number one in the tribe, which is just one of the grades of plastic. That's all your water bottles, strawberry products, and stuff. We in Australia consume about 345,000 tonnes of that. Only 70% is actually captured in the recycling system. So not 70%, 70 tonnes. So that's 250,000 tonnes that are ending up Directly in land, water, air. Um, so we've only of that 340, 70,000 tonnes are captured in recycling, and of that, about 20,000 is reprocessed in Australia, and 50,000 exported. So and out so 345,000, 20,000 is done in the, in Australia, at least 325,000 tonnes unprocessed from Australia in Australia.
0: And so when with the buyback scheme, so the 10 cents. Per bottle, they're paying 10 cents for people to give their bottles and then they're sending those bottles offshore.
1: Yeah, so South Australia, for example, they've had the 10 cent container deposit scheme for 40 years. They're the world's longest running container deposit scheme, but no one bothered to build a reprocessing plant in South Australia. So they were putting on ships and sending overseas as well. Wow. So, container deposit scheme is actually not a recycling program, it's an anti litter program. It's designed so that if someone sees a bottle on the ground, a pensioner, or a homeless person, or a kid, will pick it up to claim the 10 cents and get it off the street. That's where the money stops.
0: I always assumed that was recycling initiative. Interesting.
1: So if you look at, I don't know if you've noticed, there's certain bottles are eligible and certain bottles are not. So, yeah. for example, your milk bottles, that is not eligible. That's HTP plastic. That can be recycled, but it's not eligible. Because you don't commonly find a two-litre milk bottle out in litter because you generally take that home and drink it home and put it in your recycling at home. Whereas a water bottle or a soft drink bottle, you, they're one of the highest littered items. Same deal for beer bottles. They're eligible under 10-cent deposit schemes, whereas wine bottles are not. We generally are, we don't litter wine bottles nearly as much as we to beer bottles. Mm. So the eligibility was derived from a litter audit back in the 1970s. And we have maintained the same eligibility. If it was a true recycling program, why would we stop at just certain beverage bottles? Why not make all beverage bottles have a 10 cent deposit Why not the strawberry punnet, which is made out of PET, just like a bottle? Why do we not want that back? It's a for, As a genuine reprocessor, I want to get as much plastic into to recover. I'd love the, the government to apply that 10 cents to every bit of plastic packaging that is sold mm. that would be a recycling product.
0: Interesting, it, oh, thank it, you. It will
1: definitely help with the increase of collection of PET bottles and the beverage bottles which doesn't help us because then we can recycle more but it's, it's not the yeah the design of the system is, has mm. other things in mind.
0: Mm. So. That's the repurposing, the re- recycling side of things. But talk to me, one of the things I love about what you're doing is the education component and what you're doing with schools. So talk to me about the impact that what you're doing makes in the world. So at the moment, it's quite local to WA, but you've got bigger plans. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, for us, this started with the challenge around twenty fifty plastics in the ocean. I wanted to do what I could to address that. And obviously, setting up a reprocessing plan to keep that plastic that we're collecting and recycling out of oceans is a pretty big start to that. But for this to be successful, we need to educate. At the end of the day, consumers who have that bottle in their hand have a lot of power. They're choosing how they dispose of it. They're choosing whether they litter it on the street, put it into a landfill bin, or put it into a recycling. And the current like PET collection rate is about 16% across Australia. So we have like it's one of the most recyclable things, it's the most obvious, but 84 of them still don't, and that's with the container positives, we'll hopefully lift that, but we're spending a lot of time around the schools and actually teaching them about plastic. And plastic itself, like there's a lot of like movement around about banning signal use and banning plastic that, the other. Plastic is actually a really useful material. It takes less energy to recycle plastic than it does glass and aluminium. It's got less weight. From an energy and carbon full life cycles perspective, recycled plastic is one of the most environmentally friendly materials out there. However, that assumes it's being recycled and recovered and not ending up in an ocean in the stomach of a whale. In that case, it's one of the most harmful. So it's very important that we start educating people going, on. we don't actually want to shift away from the lightest footprint material from an energy point of view because that has other impacts. Like if all of a sudden we quadruple our energy to start using everything in glass, that's actually not good for us either. So we actually just need to teach people that this plastic is not rubbish, it's not waste, it's actually a resource and we want to collect it back up and reprocess it over and over and again. So we're starting to educate people about it, because most people don't really think about their waste too much once it leaves their hand, once it's dumped into one of the two bins, and that's job done, apparently. So what are you doing with
0: the schools around the education?
1: So we've now got 85 partner schools, and that's growing every day. And so we have our bright purple bins in the schools, and we engage the students to go out and collect the plastic. And the students are now starting, they're our little army of places. They're now getting their parents on board, they're getting plastic from their neighbours, they're doing beach cleanups, they're going to local sporting grounds, they're mopping up all this plastic. And once the container deposit scheme comes into WA, that's actually earning their school's credit. So for every thousand bottles that the students collect, that's $100 credit. So one of the products we're turning the PET bottles into is 3D printer filament. So that way the students can actually basically, when they run out of 3D printer filament in their classroom, instead of going to the teacher and saying, hey, miss, can you buy us another roll of filament for $35? They now have to collect 350 bottles. They get to earn their filament by recycling and collecting up the bottles. And they can start using that extra credit to buy 3D printers and more educational programs and excursions to come see the factory and all sorts of other things as we grow and expand. So. And what's interesting, we have not approached a single school. Those 85 schools have come from students and parents that are going, this is amazing, our school should be involved. They then go have a conversation with their teachers and principals and, yeah, it's really a community-led initiative.
0: Fantastic. And so when you have a reprocessing plant, what kind of things come out of that? So obviously 3D printing filament is one. What other products can be made?
1: Yeah. So our main product is actually, so our, we're already in the service of recovering material because when you get a big bag of plastic, it's got lids and labels and the bottoms all got to be separated and washed and ultimately melted down into the pellets, which becomes the feedstock for manufacturers. So we're not aiming to become the manufacturer of every plastic product out there. But what we want to do is that intermediary between the waste and the rubbish and turning into that valuable commodity feedstock so that the manufacturers, instead of them buying virgin pellets, they can just buy the recycled pellets from us. So anyway, anything that's made out of virgin plastic can be made out of recycled plastic. The challenge for us, if we were to focus just purely on making products ourselves, we're limited For every kilo of product that we sell. We can sell one kilo of, well, we can take in one kilo of rubbish. So we would have to sell a lot of plastic to a lot of markets, to a lot of customers, and that's a huge network of infrastructure. And then we're competing against plastics manufacturers for market share, whereas in this way, we actually leverage that existing market rather than us going and making wheelie bins, for example. We just supply the HTP pellets to the wheelie bin manufacturers. They then turn the pellets into a bin made out of recycled plastic, and then they sell bins to councils and households and businesses and lots sort of stuff. That way we don't have to deal with all that. So we're really that wholesale connection between a waste product and a plastic manufacturer. That's the kind of area we're fitting into. The filament really is only a demonstration of what it is for the students and gives them the, the educational kind of tie-in so they get some product back. We're talking about like the role of filament. And that's fifty bottles. We're talking about two hundred and fifty thousand bottles per hour, twenty hours a day just of PET, and another two hundred and fifty thousand bottles an hour of HTPs, that's half a million bottles an hour. We can make enough filament to supply the entire Australia like for a year in one or two hours. Wow. So we yeah we can't rely on filament to be the end solution, if we want to do this on big scale. Yeah. And we kind of started small with the schools and the and We're kind of growing back it to consume up and collect up and reprocess as much as possible. And we're still expanding. Our factory is growing and it's kind of an exciting journey to be going down this path. And, yeah, it's a much more scalable process to be in that intermediary and not having to deal with selling of plastic by the, the gram or the kilogram.
0: And I think that's, we've seen this recently in Australia with the collection of bottle tops, which has become a big project at the moment. But it's, there's lots of small scale applications for that. But it's how do you take those kind of materials and turn them into scale so that you can process large amounts? And can you talk a little bit? Because the different types of plastics, bottle tops are obviously different to the actual bottle so are there end uses for all types of plastics
1: so we're focusing on PET and HDPE so in those little triangles on your plastic which should have a number it doesn't always it should have a number one through to seven so we're dealing with number one which is PET and number two which is HDPE because we've got a large scale offtake so at the end of the day for a Plastic reprocessing, there's three critical steps. It's can you get the plastic in? Can you reprocess and do in the technical magic black box bit in the middle? And then do you have someone to buy it at a volume and price that covers getting in and reprocessing? It's a pretty simple kind of, well, there's a lot of other things to it, but that's the fundamentals of it. The challenge with the three, four, five, six, and sevens is not a big market of people buying the recycled pallets of PVC and polystyrene and at the right price and volumes. So we haven't been able to make that work. Ones and twos are definitely the most recyclable economically, and that's critical. If you want to scale something, it needs to sustain itself economically, otherwise you can't grow it. It's the bottomless pit otherwise. So, yeah, the PET, two really big customer base. One is the food and beverage industry because they need that, a bottle, they need that strawberry punnet and that sort of stuff, and they can make a recycled PET. So that's one really big market. The other really big market is the polyester industry, the textiles industry. So polyester is exactly the same as PET. So instead of it being a, a 1.5, 7.5 mil film, it gets extruded into a fine fiber, woven. So this shirt that I'm wearing is made out of recycled bottles. Your carpet in your floor, the filler of your quilt, anything that's made out of polyester, it could be made out of recycled bottles, and you wouldn't even know. Um, so the polyester, like the textiles industry, it's huge. Right? There's factories that are doing, we're doing five. We're, when we get to the full-scale firm, we're doing five tonne. Now. There's polyester factories that do 200 tonnes an hour, and that's just one factory. And there's about hundreds of them. So it's a big, they need a lot of material to make all the, the clothes that we wear and the carpets and everything else. And if they don't recycle, they buy virgin plastic.
0: Mm.
1: So they will mop up stuff. It's, yeah, for me, I prefer it to go into the, back into the food grade because that's recyclable over and over again. It's very hard to recover plastic back out of a shirt or carpet and that sort of stuff. But it's still better then they're using virgin materials out of that ground to make that product. And HDPE, it's got a market within milk bottles and the wheelie bins and pipes and injection-molded products, shipping pellets, there's a whole range of stuff that can be made of it. It's really like, in theory, anything that's made out of PET can be made out of recycled PET. Anything that's made out of HDPE can be made out of recycled HDPE. Yeah.
0: That's sick.
1: Yeah, we've been trying to get. Well, there's a few people, we're not the only people, but like your Cordial bottles, for example, that is one of the only beverage bottles that is not PET or HTP. They're currently made out of PVC. That's a real nightmare for us because there's just not enough Cordial bottles coming through to set up an entire different processing line for that material type. So we can't handle it. There's not enough volume, and it's like, well, why doesn't that manufacturer? just shift from using a PVC bottle to a PET bottle. And some of the stories I've heard, apparently they did market research and consumers prefer the feel of a PVC bottle over a PET. I'm like, yeah, come on, like...
0: Might be some education
1: needed there. People listening to this right now, do you know what the difference of those two plastics feel like? Mm-hmm. Do you care what your cordial bottle feels like? Or do you prefer it to be recycled and not killing our planet narrations?
0: That's right. That might have been a little bit of a limited public research study. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me, Darren, about I know that you use social media to connect with and activate people around the work that you do. How do you use social media? What role has that played in your journey?
1: It's been a critical part. We were both, I can honestly say, hand on heart, we would not be here today without social media. When I heard that TV advert back in 2016, I started searching Like, I wasn't hooked on becoming that plastics guy yet. I was just curious. But then you know what Google's like, and you start searching something, all of a sudden it starts popping up in your social media streams, and I was curious. So I started watching the videos, reading the articles, and I kind of like accidentally learned about this problem, just because I typed in one thing into a Google browser once. So that has actually turned out to be a pretty good thing. Um, and one of the things that's
0: quite funny when people get concerned about privacy and they say you know they're watching us and i know there's lots of examples where you say something near your phone and it suddenly starts showing up in your facebook feed it's actually what i love about social media is that You get to see what you're interested in as opposed to a whole lot of rubbish yeah. that you might not be interested in. Yeah.
1: So well, no, interesting
0: how that's formed your journey though or helped you. Improve.
1: What's really interesting, because I was pretty embedded in the disability world for 15 years. So I'd wake up and in the morning, I had a Facebook feed of disability-related stuff. And my social network were feeding me. Oh, have you seen this post? And like, I'll get the same post 30 times over And people thinking that were the first one to send them. But that was great because sometimes, always someone had to be the first to send everything too. So I just kind of knew what was going on in that world. And now I hardly get anything disability related. I get everything about waste and plastic and recycling, environment, all that sort of stuff coming through on a, a daily basis. So, yeah. And it really didn't take that long for my social media feeds to shift, it's happened really quickly, which is kind of interesting. And so.
0: And do you think I, that's played a role in some of the schools and the students finding out about what you're doing and getting involved?
1: Oh, absolutely. So when we kind of committed to this project, uh, I launched a crowdfunding campaign um, to kind of kick it off. And like Green Batch at the time, We maybe had like fifty people on our Facebook feed, like following this journey, and there was mainly like friends of mine and family, whatever. Gladys
0: and what's Darren
1: Darren doing these days? Right, follow this crazy guy's ideas and see where it goes. So launched a crowdfunding campaign, um, but didn't actually say we were launching a crowdfunding campaign. We launched had an event, um, and it was called War on Plastics. And we got a couple of keynote speakers and we created as a, a Facebook event. And we booked out a venue and got some wine sponsored and whatever else. And I think that venue was designed to hold 200 people. Um, and I had a couple of my friends volunteering to help coordinate this event. And when we were playing the, like, the wine, the, which we got, so was like, how many do we need to order? Like, how many people are gonna come to this event? And one of the guys said, uh, oh, maybe 50. I was like, nah, let's go, let's ask the for a hundred. is a sponsorship. <laughs> and so we did that. And then we launched this openly event on Facebook. And within six hours, the 200 tickets had gone. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. Like, this, this is people who come along and hear about rubbish, really. Like, its we didn't expect it to get much traction because it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> And so we got rid of the seats at the event and we could get 400 people in this warehouse kind of area. And so we released it, 200 more tickets on the Facebook event. And Big, then 12,
0: more wine. They had gone. <laughs> wow.
1: And we're like, holy crap, like what's happening here? This is like, I've run events. I've never had like this sort of response on anything. I've been doing disability stuff for 15 years and... We couldn't get any more people, literally. On the day, we had like the roller doors open, people were out in the uh, looking in, we were like squeezing people in like a Japanese subway train, like just trying to get them in the room. And I remember looking at the, the analytics after, 55,000 people had viewed our page. I was like, off a base of 50 people. And I was just like, when things start getting traction on social media, they start, feeding them out and I don't know, it just went gangbusters. And that night was the launch of our crowdfunding campaign. Um, and then the media, regular media just started picking up on it, but, like, but then the regular media also posted social media and they were then linking to our crowdfunding campaign. And so yeah, the whole launch, went, and ended up being one of the biggest crowdfunding campaigns. And we ended up raising about 70 grand in four weeks. Which a good crowdfunding campaign here in about ten thousand. So it was phenomenal. Um, and, that's and that's the beauty about that.
0: social media is we're all connected to people who are interested in things similar right. to us. So you and tap you into share. those. You hit
1: one button and you can share it with someone else's yeah. interest and share it with your thousand followers or whatever else. And by the end of that campaign, we had two thousand followers, which is a I don't know, that is a percentage from 50, but 50 to 2000 is a big growth in a couple of weeks. Um, And fast forward now, like the schools, because part of that campaign said we'll get our bins into 50 schools. And the schools heard about it, and the teachers and the students, we didn't actively go and cold call any schools. They came to us hearing from this campaign on social media. Um, And it just has continued to grow, like it's um, just, I think maybe a week or two, we hit 10,000 followers on our Facebook, Fantastic, which is crazy. This is people following people dealing with your rubbish, like this, is like, it's crazy that we have 10,000 people that are following a journey about rubbish.
0: Well, I think there's, I'm certainly seeing it in my own networks. There's a huge shift at the moment that's happening, particularly in Australia. I'm sure it's happening around the world, but happening in Australia just as awareness is um, is raised and people become far more educated about what's actually happening, people are being much more conscious about their choices. So they're actively out there looking for projects that, um, yeah. you know, that can help them be more responsible.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's definitely like it's, well, it's hard to tell because now I'm in this world, my social media is filling up with this stuff daily. So I'm seeing this sort of stuff all the time. And yeah, it's definitely the circles I'm around and around those people. So I don't know in my world, everyone thinks this way, right? <laughs>
0: So, look, that's, it's been amazing just to get an insight into the vision behind what you're doing and, and where that's going. As we wrap up, Darren, what would you say? So, there's someone out there that's got a vision, they're not quite sure whether they should take the leap and get into it, whether they should shift their Facebook feed to be about a new topic. Um, what would you say to them?
1: I don't know if you can consciously shift your Facebook feed, <laughs> it just happens for you. <laughs> um, I've got a little say like, which I found somewhere, which was, don't wait for all the traffic lights to be green, otherwise you'll never leave for work or for school, whatever it is. Like, sometimes you just gotta get started. And when I stumbled into this recycling world, I didn't have a reprocessing plant. I didn't have a bucket load of money to spend the millions of dollars on building a plant. I just had an idea. And well, I, had, I found a problem. I had some ideas around that problem. I just started kind of doing and learning and watching. Like, after my, I've spent, God knows, having hundreds of hours watching YouTube videos about plastic recycling. I taught myself through social media and online. And from that, like, I, I spent $100 to get Green Batch started. I bought a pair of scissors and a shredder from Officeworks. <laughs> And we launched a school's program and we started collecting bottles. And literally in my garage in the evening, I was chopping off the top of the bottle and the bottom of the bottle with the scissors and slicing it down the guts and turning it rolling into a sheet and feeding it into paper shredder. And that's how I started Devere's first plastic reprocessing plan. It's kind of got bigger over time. I ended up getting a slightly bigger shredder that you could put the whole bottle in, which was Oh my god, that was amazing! Like, I got so sick of <laughs> cutting these bottles to make them fit in. And I had these like bags for tops and bottoms, which I couldn't do anything with yet. Um, but I knew in the future we'll deal with it. Um, and then that the whole bottle shredder was so good. But then, as more and more schools came on board, I was getting a full of plastic delivery. This is one at a time. And then we got a, a slightly bigger shredder that could do 50 kilos an hour. And that was like this huge saving grace because we had a, a shipping container full of bottles like backlogged up and I was struggling to keep up and volunteers started coming on board. And we've just gone, we've actually just got some funding to go from a 50 kilo an hour shredder to a 500 kilo an hour shredder. So yeah, it's, it's sometimes you don't know all the answers day one, but yeah, if you think about a marathon winner, I can guarantee that they've never quit. They've just kept on kind of going and winners never quit and quitters never win. So sometimes you just need that perseverance and stubbornness to keep on going towards that goal.
0: And all good enterprises start in a garage, I'm convinced.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's, it's got to start somewhere.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Darren, for sharing more about what it is that you're up to. How do people find you and get involved if they're interested?
1: Facebook, type in Green Badge and you'll find us.
0: Fantastic. Nice and simple. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really great to talk to you.
1: Pleasure. And don't forget to put your plastic in the recycling bin.
0: Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast, and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash sociallights. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.